0: You're listening to Boston Strongcast, a place where we talk all things powerlifting, strength, and the occasional scientific nerd session. I'm your host, Kevin Can, the owner of Precision Powerlifting Systems, strength coach and competitive powerlifter in the USAPL. Thanks for tuning in, and let's get stronger together. Hey guys, this is Kevin Can with Boston Strongcast. Uh, today I'm going to do a little uh, solo act, and this is going to kind of piggyback off of an episode that I did... A few weeks ago now, uh, I think we named it Monitoring Training Volume, so it's kind of where I introduced the acute chronic work ratio, how we started using it uh, with our programming to monitor training volumes and stuff. Uh, And today, I'm going to kind of go over what I've learned using acute chronic work ratio with our programming and stuff. Um, It's probably going to pose more questions than answers at this point. Uh, But hopefully, down the road, as we kind of use it more, figure it out, add some changes to it, uh, there'll be answers to some of these questions. So just a really brief. Uh, recap. I do highly suggest you go back and listen to that previous episode so that this one makes a little bit more sense. Uh, but I'll do my best to catch you up to speed if you don't want to do that. So basically acute chronic work ratio, it's something that's been used in team sports, mostly in like Europe. So like rugby, I believe field hockey was in there, soccer. Um, there were like four, four or five other sports, Australian football maybe. Um, basically what acute chronic work ratio does is it monitors an athlete's preparedness for what they're being asked to do. So, for example, so it measures external and internal load components. So external load would be something for us, it's training volume. For the team sport aspect, it could be number of accelerations, total distance traveled, um, stuff like that. And then internal load is basically how the athlete feels. So for us, it's a little bit different from that uh, standpoint. I'll go into a little bit of detail of how I'm using that. Um, And we are making some changes to that. So basically what it is is the chronic workload is this rolling four-week average of total training volume for the lifter. So anything that the lifter does, so if we're in Week eight of a block, week seven, week six, week five, and week four, their total weekly vol- volume. It adds up, so you get your total monthly volume, and you divide it by four, and that's kind of our 1.0 for our acute-chronic work, work ratio. That's baseline. So that's the chronic part. And then on week nine, it rolls up a week. So eight, seven, six, and five will be the weeks that we use for that rolling that rolling average. The acute workload is what the lifter is doing in this seven-day period. So if they train four days, it's their total volume of work in that four-day period. So if the acute workload is the exact same number as the rolling average for the chronic workload, we have 1.0. That's basically the lifter's baseline at that given point in time for training volume. Anything under one is less than baseline, anything over one is greater than baseline. Uh, In the team sports setting, it seems that the athletes that they've looked at have increased performance and actually a decrease of injury risk with an acute chronic work ratio of 0.80 to 1.30. So it can get a little bit under baseline and a little bit over baseline. So it kind of makes sense when you're thinking of it from an injury perspective that if the athlete's being asked to do more than they're prepared to do, we have injury risk, right? So in the team sports setting, you have something you know say team sports that play multiple games in a given week and then they're trying to practice uh in between there especially like high school athletes if they're playing on their high school teams and the club team uh so the more congested the schedule the more games that they play and stuff the higher the workload the higher the injury risk that part kind of makes sense but on the other end of it, if you do too little, you actually run the risk of increasing injury risk because the athlete's just not going to be prepared to handle anything that's going to be in front of them because they're kind of getting detrained. Like If you get away from baseline for too long, even like a seven-day period like that, you do run the risk of decreasing some of the fitness that you've developed over a period of time. So we can actually look at the chronic workload as the athlete's fitness level and the acute workload as the athlete's fatigue level. So I did mention a couple of minutes ago that one of the other aspects of the acute chronic work ratio is with internal load. So in a lot of cases, um, coaches will give in the team sports setting, they'll give their athletes some type of questionnaire that they'll answer some questions. And then at the end of it, they'll they'll get a score and they'll be like rated up upon that score. So if they're feeling like fatigued or something, their injury risk is going to be higher. So that's going to affect the acute chronic work ratio in that aspect. So for me, when I was looking at this and trying to utilize this in a powerlifting setting, I wasn't too sure. I wasn't too keen on using a lot of subjective data at first um, to mess with my numbers because this is something that's new. I don't know of anybody else using it in this type of setting so I wanted to make sure I was controlling every variable so that I could narrow that part down and then we can expand upon it at a later a later period of time. However, it doesn't mean we, we can just ignore the internal load component. So my initial thought was effort is a matter of internal load, right? That's what RPE is attempting to measure in the you know, powerlifting setting or reps in reserve or whatever people are using. So instead, I was just kind of using my eye to determine the athlete's effort. So I would videotape. So there's, you know, competition squats are constantly in the athlete's program. Uh, We do repeat sets, reps, and intensities uh, throughout the program. It might be in different spots and it might be under different circumstances and stuff. But over the course of time, you do get a decent snapshot of the athlete's effort within doing a similar task. So with video evidence, I would, you know, record it, look at it, and kind of rate it in my head. You know, I'd ask them how, how it feels and stuff, but I wanted to be primarily in control of this. So over time, what I'm looking for is I should see technique kind of clear up on these sets. I sh- should see them moving faster and looking looking a little bit better. So I was being the one to determine the internal load under those circumstances. Uh, I talked to... Uh, Nick Cadiz a couple weeks ago who has some really good ideas on how to monitor the internal load component, which I'm not going to share at this time, but um, at a future date and time. As long as it, it works out and stuff, we'll, uh, we'll discuss that in greater detail. But for now, it kind of is what it is. Um, so over the period, so now it's been, we're going on to about six months. So. Um, Clint did up some Excel spreadsheets that actually track all the acute chronic work ratios of the lifters. Uh, So now I have like a really good sample size of analyzing the programs and the acute chronic work ratios for each of the lifters. Um, And I have lifters that are everything from pure beginners uh to a couple of elite lifters and there's everything in between. So it's a good it's a good sample population. I have thirty seven lifters. So it's a it's definitely a good population size. So first things first is in this six month period, so I know there's a lot of just common Practice to have scheduled deloads within a, a training block. And I think like average You know a very common one is you know three weeks of increasing volumes and intensities and or intensities Deload and that can be you know anywhere from three weeks four weeks five, you know seven weeks in a deload um, It's not saying that it's wrong. Uh, it obviously works for for a lot of people and the idea is to kind of drop training volume for a given week so that the athlete can recover and stay healthy and then you bring up the you bring up the next block and I think you know in some programs they're actually looking for a little bit of detraining so that when you bring back uh, you know the current stimulus you're going to get a training adaptation without having to further increase volume and stuff however i think there's a a major misunderstanding of how progression needs to work over the lifetime of a lifter in order for them to see results so i think you know on a very common setting, and not to say that our programs don't do this, because we do use linear progressions of given lifts at times, but it's... It's extremely strategic in the way that we do it. It's not just every week we just increase volume and intensity because that's what you need to do to overload the athlete in order to force, you know. And then you you peak and you get your super compensation. I think, you know, it's a little bit more complex than that. Um, so for us, what I tend to do is we have very gradual increases in volume from week to week to week to week. And there will be light light weeks in there, so I will drop it under under that 1.0. But for the vast majority of my lifters, uh, their acute chronic work ratio doesn't drop below 0.90. So we are just barely getting underneath baseline. And then on top of that, um, when we're trying to kind of overload and build volume, I tend to not really go over between 1.1 and 1.2 for their acute chronic work ratios. So I've been able to gradually increase volume over over blocks without having to throw in a deload. And this is going on four or five months at a given point, and the athlete is continuously progressing in their training. Um, Typically, in these scenarios, within that time period, there will be a competition. So uh, Kina was one of the first ones I started messing around with this with, and she has a competition on June 3rd, uh, and a week and a half ago, she hit PRs on all three of her lifts. So we never took a deload during during that time period. Uh, Our deload would be like a 0.9 on that acute chronic work ratio scale, and if you actually look at a week of the program, it doesn't look like a deload at all. Uh, It might have been just a little bit heavier than the week before. Uh, on a couple of sets, and then there's your difference in volume because the sets and reps are going to drop a little bit. So, you know, this kind of has changed, and I've always used D loads. I think, a lot differently than many other coaches uh, because each lift itself has its own kind of recovery curves. So I've always kind of messed around with, you know, maybe we do a lighter squat week this week, Um, But we'll push the deadlift a little bit more. But you can be smart in the way you push the deadlift. So we might do partial reps, like a deadlift to the knees and deadlift off blocks to really accumulate some volume there. So you can kind of like mess around with stuff to allow the athlete to recover but still progress forward. And we tend to do it more on a weekly basis. So, you know, a common week, and it's not always like this, but day one, which will be squat and bench, will be like a higher volume, higher stress day. Day two, which would be deadlift and bench, would be a higher-stress day. And then day three would be like a medium-stress day. Day four would be a very low-stress day for recovery. So. We kind of do it on a, on a week-to-week basis anyways. And stuff is going to progress over time. But, you know, we might do 80% for five triples on the squat. That might stay in there for a period of time. So we're not necessarily progressing that exercise, but we should see the athlete get better at it. And maybe they're doing volume squat with chains on the other day, and I'm kind of just building volume through that in a linear linear progression. So not everything's progressing at a... Linear rate at a weekly rate, Um, but some of the stuff is. And you know, if you do that with two or three exercises, you can increase weekly volume. You know, with an intermediate lifter, two, three thousand pounds, uh, pretty easily. And if you continuously kind of do that over a period of time, you can really ramp up their training volume. So one of the things that you know, I kind of have been thinking about is how much can i really push the athlete so in the beginning i knew if i stayed within this within this range this 0.80 to 1.3 range that i could drive up intensity as long as they were prepared to handle it so you know there might be a block where I'm just increasing effort of lifts uh, just to prepare them to handle heavier weights so that we can really start pushing some heavy singles at times Um, and then once we get into those you know low 90% singles we can start ramping it up from there over over a peaking block so basically what it might look like is the first block they're taking 80% for triples we're sprinkling in some 85% for doubles Uh, then we'll make sure that that they do something to kind of pre-fatigue them before those 85 percent doubles and that second rep at 85 percent is about equal maybe even more challenging than a single at than a single at 90 so we're making sure that they're capable of handling handling those weights so once I got into that range with them, we just literally just started ramping up singles from there. And I knew we could continue to add weight because there was sway room within that acute chronic work ratio. You know, if they're between 0.9 and 1.1, uh, there's plenty of room. Now, looking back on it, and this this worked extremely well. I had uh, seven people compete in New Hampshire, uh, a lot of PRs, a lot of qualifying totals. Um, so it did, it, it, it went extremely well. However, looking back at it, I think in these preparatory blocks that are a little bit further from competition, especially if a lifter is going to take a longer period um, away from competition, is I could probably push them a little bit harder in training than i have been so if i'm you know getting only up to that 1.1 to 1.2 range and i know i can stress that 1.3 i could probably hit a lot more volume in training uh than what i am and it's not like we're not getting a lot of volume now but uh i i think that this could ultimately lead to bigger totals because volume is important um So, you know, this time around where I have a group of lifters that aren't going to, I mean, a few of them are going to compete in the summer at heavier weight classes, just going to be kind of like a fun competition, which I'm going to kind of treat as just a heavy training day on the sheets. A lot of them now before nationals, we still got, you know, it's, it's beginning of June now. So we got... Four months that we can like really like ramp up the volume and stuff. But I think with that, if I am going to ramp up the total volumes, if I'm going to get that acute-chronic work ratio up near that 1.3 range, I need to have more days that come below 0.90. So the average of it will probably still be in the same ballpark, but uh, it gives me some options, and you know, it might might be better uh, than what I'm doing now. I mean, there's only only one way to actually find out um we're keeping track of all injury data too and there have been a few times where there's been some stalling in performance where we had to take a step back for a week um, but these are both coming from online clients and after talking with nick i think we're getting a better system in place to track this um and i, I and that should really help catch this stuff because the idea of this is to be able to one you know make sure the athlete's doing enough work to stay healthy um not doing too much not doing too little um and at the same time making sure that they're doing as much as humanly possible to get stronger for the sport so that's kind of the ultimate goal there it's kind of also why i'm a little bit more conservative with the volumes and i haven't really stretched that acute chronic work ratio as much um is because nobody's getting paid to do this sport so risking injury is just not something i'm willing to do the other part of it was i'm monitoring the internal load in the in the scientific literature that internal load is in that range of 0.80 to 1.30. So I wanted to make sure I'm giving myself a little bit of buffer room uh, on either side for the most part so that I'm not just crushing people uh, when the the time comes. And like I was saying before, once we kind of ramped up the acute chronic work ratio, you know, and we'd build it up over a block. Within those ranges, I would just start driving intensity uh, because I, I knew the athlete was capable of handling it. We had a lot of leeway, uh, and I would leave enough volume in there while I was doing the heavy singles to make sure that their acute-chronic work ratio stays in in a good range that al- allows them to stay healthy, continue to train, and continue to push these singles. So in the beginning of a peaking block, they might start. You know, Chico's my coach. I run programs that look very similar to his. So we might start with. Uh, 90% for a couple singles on the squat, hit some bench, and then come back to 80% for doubles or triples on the squat, just to maintain the volume that we had been training with before so that our acute chronic work ratio doesn't drop too low. So if I had decided in the peak and block to just start hitting 90% for three singles and then just start ramping up the singles, that rolling chronic workload average would... Decrease pretty quickly. So I didn't want that to happen. I wanted to make sure that the athlete was still prepared to handle the work that I was going to ask of them. And then, you know, we would hit our test. There'd be a light week before the test. We did our test three weeks out and then a two-week taper and everything kind of resets and then then we build build from there. Um, I'm hoping that this new internal load monitoring system that we're kind of figuring out can help us identify some of these areas of where we can catch an athlete when they're hitting a peak in performance. And we can add more weight to the bar. and also, at the other other end of the spectrum, we can catch the athlete before they have that dip in performance, and then we have to react to it. I'd rather be proactive than reactive in these situations. So in a lot of cases now, like I'm using my eye, somebody might take, let's just use the 80% for triples on a squat. They take it. It looks really easy. I'd be like, hey, next time, let's let's take a triple RPE like eight, eight or nine, uh, but something you can hit the majority of the sets with, if we have to, you know, kind of build up the the volume that way too, using the other numbers, that's fine. Um, but it's going to be something they got to get. If they're being asked to do five sets, I don't mind doing two triples at the previous weight, and then three triples at the other weight, and just build and building from there. But they have to be able to get enough triples at that heavier weight to make it, uh, you know, actually worthwhile. Um, but hopefully with this new monitoring system, I'll be able to identify that before I see it. So if everything's looking good, hopefully that day so we get an extra week of increased volumes there. And currently, like where I sit, you know, if that's a week and they're only at 1.1, it's okay to add weight to that week because I know that they're prepared for it because there is some wiggle room Um and you know, with this said the thought process is is that RPEs have a benefit. There are a lot of really strong lifters that primarily utilize RPEs, but there are some negative downfalls to it. And hopefully between the two of these we can kind of limit the negative downfalls. While reaping similar benefits that, that you get from using something that allows you to be more subjective. Uh, some of the downfalls with an RPE program is every week, you know, if you're constantly adding weight, adding weight, adding weight, that weekly volume, that acute workload can exceed that rolling average pretty quickly uh, and that's where we can suffer a minor setback in training so I've got that aspect nailed down with that acute chronic work ratio so I kind of know where they sit how much wiggle room we have there um, and one of the benefits of the of RPS is exactly what I was just saying you know it's you can add more weight to the bar it builds confidence. Um, it's making sure that the right amount of weight is on the bar for the right amount of sets and reps. If I'm watching five triples at 80% and it looks like an RPE6, there's not as much of a training effect on that as if I allowed them to go up on that given day to actually get within that you know, RPE8, RPE9 range for those triples so that they could actually get the full training effect. It's not like there's a negative training effect to it. I mean, you are still training. There's technique stuff. If 80% is moving that fast, chances are it's not your 80% anymore, uh, which is another benefit of RPE is your one rep max is constantly changing. You know, I know if I go into the gym tomorrow, I'm supposed to squat. I could not hit my one rep max squat after training these last two days. So my one rep max will actually be a little bit less. And I have pause squats at 75% tomorrow, which the pause actually makes 75% harder, but it also allows less weight to be on the bar so that I can recover from my two heavier days that I had on day one and day two while still getting a training effect, because I'm tired from previous training, so my one rep max is actually lower on that given day, making that 75% harder. The pause makes it harder, and we're controlling the load on the bar, so we're making sure the lifter's staying within a, um, and this is from Chico, this is my actual week. For my program, so it's not something that I created, but he kind of does this um, in a similar way when I go through my programs. So the programs are set up that way, and where it's set up that way, I don't. If if I'm running an RPE program, and I'm my coach, I don't want my athlete tomorrow going in to hit those 75% pause squats and having leeway to add weight to the bar. Because one, I already know that 75% is heavier than 75% because their one rep max is less on that on that given day. I also know that the effort for 75% is going to be higher because of the pause. So there's a number of scenarios, and this is kind of like the beauty, I think, of a Shiko program is it kind of utilizes an accumulation of fatigue at the right times Uh, to get a training adaptation from lighter weights. So you're constantly utilizing sub-maximal weights. So technique is just it's always being repeated, always the same. It's very rarely ever falling apart. Um, And you're building that stable movement pattern so that over time, as you continue to load it, it's, it's stable enough where it can handle the, those increased loads. And that's another downfall of RPE as we go into that. it's There are times where I understand that the RPE is less than an 8 or 9, but somebody's technique is not where I want it to be. And I don't want them to add weight until that technique clears up. Um, and we'll have variations and then that progress in a linear linear fashion like there will be a time and a place to put more weight on the bar but if technique is broken that's not the time because you're creating an unstable movement pattern and when you put more stress on it it's going to break down more quickly because it's already unstable. So in those scenarios I want to see technique clear up and I don't want to see the athlete increase in weight so there's and you know and, and that and I know a lot of people are in this you know saying you know as long as you can hit technique you squat to depth you're not gonna do anything to injure yourself um just train to get stronger and i don't disagree with that i think nine times out of ten i agree with that statement but when it comes to the technique aspect sometimes i'd rather take a step backwards because if somebody's you know a beginner to an intermediate lifter um their ceiling's going to be a lot lower if their technique is not quite as good so if somebody's you know say say they go You know some pitching forward at the bottom of of the squat as they as they come up, you know That little bit of a good morning squat, which I think is a very common flaw that we see You know in a lot of cases people just continue to load continue to load continue to load You're pretty strong doing that But your ceiling is going to be a lot less than if we just took time now with the lighter weights before they get really heavy And we just kind of correct you to be in the right positions Your ceiling over time over the life of the lifter is going to be much higher and it's also, you know, if you're spreading that volume over more joints, you're going to just have a greater tolerance overall than if you're just asking your back to to do it primarily. Um, so, in those cases, that's, in my opinion, that's a negative of RPE. So, you know, one of the things that I'd like to do is somehow be able to almost. You know, allow this to be a roadmap for the lifter to select when it's appropriate to add weight to the bar, like 5%. I'd cap it at that. I don't think there's a need to go any heavier than that because, remember, we're talking about effort and internal load. The athlete has to be just as prepared to handle the effort of the reps. Um, So going up by more than 5% I think gets a little sketchy over time. You're going to start to see some pretty big technique breakdowns and that's not what we want to see some minor ones that i know that they can fix over time as they get used to the heavier weights i'm okay with but something that that starts to look ugly or if it's not improving after a few weeks is probably a time to take a step back so technique and effort are both incredible monitoring tools for the coach to kind of figure out If they're doing too much, too little, when to progress training, when when to pull it back. uh, You know, and it doesn't have to be done in a linear progression. However, you know, if we can measure the internal load a little bit differently, so if every week, you know, if their lifts look good and for two or three weeks in a row, if they're a sub eight on this given lift, the lifter has some... Leeway to add five five percent to the bar on this on this lift and this lift only, and then the same thing. So once they increase the weight on that lift, they have to repeat it until they get a period of time um, where it's looking better and stuff. And then of course, you know, the technique okay by me to to increase weight, you know, and maybe similar circumstances, the variations I started to progress to heavy singles. So I've been keeping them in for a longer period of time and just like really, really pushing them. Um, And it seems to work really well. So if it's something that I know that's going to fix technique, and I'm seeing a fixed technique in their competition lift, we'll leave it in for a period of time. And then knowing how heavy to actually push it like monitoring the internal load, monitoring that acute chronic work ratio, that external load with the the training volume and stuff, kind of lets me know when and where we can really like ramp it up Uh, And it. It's been working extremely well. There is still some things that I need to improve and I think we're working towards fixing that. Um, How hard we can actually push training volume I think is from what I'm seeing, and granted, you know, if this were a study, six months and 30 plus people of all genders and skill levels within the sport is a pretty good sample size. Um, but I don't think the D loads. That you typically see in programs are as necessary Um, they you know obviously those coaches are probably running different programs also right so they have their own systems and their own ways of doing things and they might feel the deload is necessary for a different reason than what i'm expressing now and that's completely fine those programs work i'm not saying it's wrong i'm just saying i have some questions after doing what i've been doing for a period of time now so if we can, if we don't have to deload and especially too, if you are going to deload and you want a lighter week, it might need to be heavier and more volume than what, you know, you typically see in a deload because that seven day period does decrease that chronic work ratio, that chronic workload, that four week rolling average. So if we can drop it below baseline for a week or two and just allow the athlete to recover, um, you know, depending on how heavy you you wanna hit those singles and stuff on that week too, I think you can. Like if the athlete's taking hard triples at 80 percent, you know, hard doubles at eighty five percent, right? So say they're doing five triples at eighty. Say they're doing three or four doubles at eighty five percent, that's fifteen lifts, that's six to eight lifts. Three singles at ninety percent effort wise is nothing compared to what they're doing. What they were doing before, and also volume-wise, it's way less. So you can keep the intensity pretty high and allow the athlete to recover without having to do, you know, 60% for triples and stuff. I think, in in my opinion, as of right now, I think it's the way that we view deloads is definitely lacking. Um, is there a better way? I don't know maybe if I pushed athletes harder so maybe these other coaches are doing more volume at higher intensities, whatever it may be and they need the deload because they're ramping it up to that 1.3 and then they bring it all the way down to 0.8 or even a little bit less just to but the balance is the same. you know it could be that way too it could be completely off in the way that I've seen stuff out there. Um, but for now, That's kind of where we stand with the acute chronic work ratio stuff. Um, There is a a good block of time now where I'm going to start ramping up some volumes a little bit more, seeing how that goes, keeping track of things. I won't just jump if if a lifter has been in that 1.15 range. I'm not just going to jump and start crushing them with a bunch of 1.3 weeks, but I might start pushing those higher volume weeks within that four-week period of time just a little bit higher and see how it goes and see how long we can progress and where our endpoints of volume are over say like an eight-week block because like as of right now i kind of know how much i can increase with each lifter over an eight-week block of progressing that basically the four-week average like there are some higher volume weeks some lower volume weeks and it kind of ranges um and it might kind of stay steadily the same over a period of time but Over a four-week block, we're increasing volumes roughly 10%, I think, on average uh, for that period of time. But maybe I can increase it a little bit more while keeping them healthy if I'm paying attention to things. Uh, One of the other things that I'm kind of thinking about is maybe we can really push one exercise on a given week. And if we do that, we get some wiggle room on the other one. So say, you know, the athlete... We'll just use 80% for triples on the squat, but they really want to push it, hit that RPE nine, go up 5% there, and they can hit it. Each set's kind of hard, but it's it's an RPE nine, it's a, it's good training. The technique looks good. Maybe on that other squat day, we can drop 5% just to kind of balance it out somehow, because um, maybe something like that I think is is possible too, where you know we can prioritize a given day where you can kind of take something off of a less priority of a day and put it towards that. Um, It's kind of one of the other things I'm I'm trying to kick around because it shouldn't really change the averages too much. Um, But we'll see. Um, Make sure you you go back and listen to that first one if you haven't because I I break down kind of this in more detail. Uh, You should be listening to the podcast every week. What am I saying? Uh, Follow me on Instagram, KWCAN. I do post stuff there. Follow our team, Precision Power Lifting Systems. Stay strong, Boston.